Hello, and welcome to All Things Marketing and Education. My name is Ilana Leone, and I've devoted my career to helping education brands build their brand awareness and engagement. Each week, I sit down with educators, edtech entrepreneurs, and experts in educational marketing and community building. All of them will share their successes and failures using social media, inbound marketing or content marketing, and community building. I'm excited to guide you on your journey to transform your marketing efforts into something that provides consistent value and ultimately improves the lives of your audience. Hi, everyone. Um, I'm Ilana Leone, CEO of Leone Consulting Group, and welcome to this week's episode of All Things Marketing and Education. Today, I have the absolute joy of sitting down with Jacob Hansen, CEO of PRP Group, which is formerly known as PR with Panache. Some of you old school ed tech folk might know that name. And they are a public relations and marketing intelligence firm for education. So I love sitting down with all folks ed tech. Jacob has been around. He knows a lot of ed tech companies. I'm excited to pick his brain. Um, I've known Jacob for maybe five or so years, something like that. And mm -hmm. I, I think you took over, like officially took over PR Panache, or, or, and it was PR Panache, at the same time as I launched LCG. And I, I look back at these moments, and there was a lot of people making moves at that time. Like my friend Steve Dembo ended up working with me. He went into consulting. A lot of people went and did their own thing at the same time. Katie Test and her group. Um, they So I just like there was a lot moving and shaking. It felt like five years ago in this world. And LCG just celebrated their five-year anniversary. So Congratulations. There's, there's lots of fives going right. on. Um, but basically... Jacob and I were in the same world. We would see each other. And I always thought you were such a friendly face. You always wanted to work together and collaborate. And any time that we talked, you were very open and sharing your knowledge and helping us through this crazy world of ed tech, especially with the <laughs> pandemic. I remember us just talking one day going, what? I don't know. <laughs> How do we make oh, yeah. this work, right? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, so every time I chat with you, Jacob, I leave inspired. I wanted to have you on at the show for a very long time. I am excited for you to share your knowledge with our audience. Um, a little bit about Jacob before he gets started. Jacob currently serves on the board of directors for High Tech Kids, which sounds super awesome. It's a nonprofit that makes STEM more accessible to kids in Minnesota, where he's based. Um, he is a father to a seven-year-old son, Sawyer, and a five-year-old daughter, Bexley. Beautiful name. Um, so Jacob and I are going to talk about for, I don't, I don't, we didn't really know how, what to call it, but it's really all <laughs> things educator support and knowing your market and audience. So we'll tell you a lot a bit more about what that means in a second, but I think this is a very, very important conversation. As an ed tech mentor to startups and being in the industry for decades now, I can tell you across the board, ed tech startups and companies and brands fail to truly understand their audience. Like, let's pause there. Like, I want you, if you're an ed tech organization listening to this, do I really know my audience and all the different facets and stakeholders within it? And sometimes 
you fail to know the market. The market's shifting like crazy right now, especially with pandemic and whatnot in education. So we're going to be focusing on some strategies to really understand your audience um, and how to support educators in this whole process and educators potentially how you can advocate for yourself and work together with ed tech organizations. So that is a lot. We might not get to it all, but we will get to really good stuff. Welcome, Jacob, to the all things marketing and education. We're so excited to have you. Well, thank you so much. And you know, Ilana, I feel like if anyone listening reaches out to me, I'm, I'm going to really have to like step up my game after that intro. Uh, so I appreciate that. And for all of you out there, you know, I would say like take about 80% of what Ilana said and, and then we'll be good. Um, but no, uh, you know, I think you're right. We did meet, you know, I think we met through a mutual client actually that that saw a need for us to meet um, Don Rashino at Inside Advance. Um, oh, love Don. Love Don. Yeah, and I think I think that's how we met. And you know, that was prior to you, I think, kind of hanging your shingle officially, but it was right around that time. Um, and I, because I think I remember when you actually did, but it has been a bit of a wild ride. And you know, I think a few fo other folks in my world had decided to to do the same thing as well and so you know maybe it wasn't just the pandemic that that you know accelerated the the great resignation or the great turnover whatever you want to call it um which i think is part of the reason why you know i gave you such a scatterbrain idea of of different topics that maybe we could talk about today but I, I, everything kind of goes that... back to that teacher teacher shortage the people leaving i mean in my world at least yeah, but fundamentally, I, I like this because it's the foundation of everything. Like, know your audience, know your market. The rest of the things will follow suit. And, and from the LCG perspective, we build communities and organic social media presence because we want to show you how you can build consistent relationships with your stakeholders, your target audience, and your users, and how that can fundamentally transform your organization. So why don't we start a little bit about you, just so people can understand you and the PRP group, because you recently went through a transition. But how did you get to leading the PRP group? What, what's your transition? And maybe just Bring us on a little bit of like who you are. How'd you get into this, you know, fun but crazy world of ed tech? Sure, sure. Well, I'll try to give um, an abbreviated version. But uh, out of college, I found a career in land development out west. Um, and then at the onset of the Great Recession was kind of like, hey, this probably isn't a good spot for me to be. Um, but given some of the work I did out there, I really had to help the ranchers around the ranches we were buying, breaking up and selling to understand why this was a good thing for them. And it wasn't, um, you know, outsiders coming in and, and destroying their, their area. So I ended up doing a lot of PR. Um, and that was really my first taste of PR where I, my official title was sales. Um, but I had to convince these folks that please don't shoot up our signs. Like, please don't bulldoze our roads when we're going to have sales because, you know, we put power lines into the pumps that you run on your, your cattle ponds that you never had water to. We ran phone lines in here that now you have phones at your ranch houses that, you know, never had it. We ran water lines in here, you know, all of that kind of stuff. But when the great recession hit, um, that was no longer an option, or at least I didn't feel like it was. And so I, I had done some freelancing for my mom, um, prior to the, to, to going up, uh, graduating from college, in PR. And so I talked to my mom, I said, look, you know, I don't need to get into a full-time gig, but if you have a client, I can help in sales. Let me know. So she hooked me up with a client, started as a consultant. They hired me full-time, um, did sales for them. They no longer exist. They were gobbled up and, and acquired. Uh, but when they got acquired, I got a job offer to move back out West. And my mom said, Hey, 
you've been doing some of this work. Why don't we give it a whirl? And so that's really how PR with Panache was born as a company. Um, we incorporated in 2012. Uh, and then my mom retired in 2018, um, really effectively middle 2018. So, you know, it'll be roughly four years ago or so, um, mid-year, um, I think officially, internally, she'd been done about January of 2018. So uh, that's how I found my way into this. But, you know, my whole life, my mom was a first year, first um, generation college grad. Uh, so education was always really important. I've always kind of been told or been shown that education is the great equalizer when a child or a kid is given the opportunity and access to a high quality education, you know, that, that they will succeed. Um, and so it just, I guess, I don't know when, when the opportunity presented itself, there was just nowhere else to go is, is education and ed tech. So I've, you know, kind of bumbled and fumbled my way through and here I am. <laughs> but you've done it very well. And what I like your perspective and, and lots of other guests that we have on is that you have a vantage point of working with like lots and lots of companies. And it's really helped my perspective too. going outhouse where I was at Edutopia, just working within one agency or within one brand. Now it's like, wow, well, we're also seeing this over here and we're seeing it here and we can understand the trends and the nuances a lot more, the more we work with multiple brands. So I'm excited to dive into that with you. Well, you know, and actually that dovetails nicely into, you know, you had mentioned our rebrand and I, I don't want to spend too much time just talking about us, but one of the big reasons behind that rebrand was just the name of our company, as well as what we felt the messaging behind that just didn't represent us anymore. And it's not that it was wildly inaccurate. Um, it's not like we don't do anything that our old website or old messaging or old brand communicated. It was that you know, we as a company had had chosen a new or uh, an updated belief system and, you know, had focused on our culture and changed. And, and that brand represented that. But a lot of that was forced, you know, or we felt that, you know, a catalyst was what our clients changing needs are. Um, so along with that rebrand, we also reorganized um, based on specifically like what are our buyers coming to us for? What do they actually need from us? Um, and so not only did we change our brand and change how we talk about ourselves, we have changed what we do, how we deliver it, um, and how we go about it based on, you know, really it comes down to the changing needs or changed needs, behaviors, um, those kinds of things of the, the people that we serve, you know, and for those out there, you know, we work primarily with vendors, um, you know, here and there we do work with educational institutions. So the vast majority of my contact with educators, administrators comes through the companies I work with. Um, but for the most part, the, the folks that I'm working directly with are, are vendors. And, you know, one of the things that I think we realized or that, that I look at is it's one thing, you know, you mentioned startups. I, I think that all companies, you know, of, of any industry can fall into this trap. Um, it's, you may have figured out at one time, but if you're not continually making sure you've got that figured out, you're eventually going to become, you know, the, the old dinosaur that, that, you know, and before you, you re even realize it yourself. Um, so it's not just about what does my product do for this person? How does it help? What it, you know, that it's what else is going on in that person's world? How do I fit into the bigger picture? You know, none of this I think is, is monumentally different than how people think, but it's critical to be putting some of these things together so that, you know, you're not wasting your time and you're not wasting theirs. Everything you do should be to earn trust, um, you know, earn mind share of, of the folks that you're trying to target versus trying to convince them to, to buy what you got. Mm -hmm. And I think this also transitions to what we really wanted to talk about is audience, right? Knowing your audience and the audience is the signal to potentially how you need to pivot. Um, but 
Porter, some of you know, she's the director of joy over at our organization. And we talk about together this magic in the middle, right? So we don't want to just follow what our audience needs. We certainly want to keep abreast with what our audience needs. And to do that, you need to know your audience deeply, right? So you got this audience need in one hand, but then you also have, you know, your organizational priorities. So what do you want to do strategically as a business? And then sometimes we overlap another circle really is like, what is our capacity and budget to do so, right? But how do you find that magic middle? But the first thing you need to do is figure out how do I make sure I have a constant pulse on what my audience is, how it's changing? And, and do you want to talk a little bit about just like if, if there's somebody, even a startup starting something new, or maybe they're trying to figure out who they are and reinvent themselves or their established education organization, how do you begin to tap into that? The well, hard first question, of, there's lots it, of ways. <laughs> it really is, you know, and, and right now I'm, I'm a little distracted. You talked about the magic in the middle and now I like just really want to Oreo. Um, <laughs> but, um, but, you know, I, and I love that term, by the way, that's the first time I've, I've heard you use that. That's fantastic. Uh, so, you know, I think the biggest thing to do is, is it's to start with your mindset. Um, I think a lot of people, me included, I fall victim to this is, you know, you've got a one track mind or you put your blinders on, this is what I'm doing. And, and you don't make room for curiosity and to actually, you know, ask the questions or ask other people the questions of, you know, am I solving, am I solving a real problem? Um, you know, or am, am I, you know, making a problem up, um, or making it bigger than it is. You know, I think one of the examples, unfortunately, I point to our, our educators themselves that, that, create a solution for their classroom and then say, Hey, if I needed this, everyone else needed it. And they realize what a, what a crowded space it actually is for whatever app they might have, have created, you know, and it's not unique to educators. Um, lots of folks from outside of education that have gotten millions and millions and millions of dollars in investment have done the same thing. Um, but that's where I think it really starts is curiosity is, do I have this right? And constantly asking those questions. And it's comes down to everything from, reflecting on a conversation you might have with a customer to results you get on an email to, you know, maybe polling your customers on certain questions. There's a lot of different ways to get curious, but that's one of the driving forces behind, you know, what we're doing is we have to get curious and stay curious on, you know, what are we getting wrong here? What are we getting right? Yeah. I think it's a combination of being curious or, you know, from a Cal Berkeley where a graduate go bears, we, we talk about students, <laughs> students always is one of our defining principles. So you always want to be learning and curiosity, but, but sometimes you need a little bit of organizational like um, backbone to it. So um, Amy Porterfield is an amazing marketer. I follow her on her podcast. We'll put her in the show notes, but she has something about knowing your, um, ideal customer avatar. So she uses ICA. I think sometimes people say your ideal customer profile, ICP, whatever it is. I don't care, potato, potato. She has a recipe like, you know, you have to go and call a certain amount of people, ask them a certain amount of questions so you can really fully understand who they are. Right. Mm -hmm. I, I love that. I also went through um, lean startups, Steve Blank's thing at, at Cal, and he did the same thing. We had to interview so many people to figure it out. Do you have any experience or advice around just like how to, whose job is it? How do we systematize it a little bit and keep it top of mind? So lots of layers there. Lots of good questions. Um, you know, I think 
depending on the size of organization, where you're at in your life cycle will determine just how many of these, you know, we call them buyer personas, ideal customer profiles works, you know, whatever the, the term you use will really determine how many of these people you can actually focus on. Um, it will determine, you know, how many of their ancillary personas, you know, or satellite personas can you focus on? Um, you know, you may have a curriculum director as your buyer, but they've got a team around them that you've got to, you've got to earn their trust too. And it's often not through that curriculum director. And so, um, you know, it is in talking to your customers, it's pilots, betas, you know, some of the tried and true tactics I think that people do, but you forget about they, you know, companies will do them at the beginning. They'll get great feedback. They'll act on it. But then two years later, they're still acting on that same feedback that they got or still operating as that's current, which for some, it may be true. You know, I know textbooks don't change much, you know, in, in a two year span, but that's not the same for everything. And, and in some cases, you know, two years can be a lot of time. I mean, you think about literacy right now, like, Think of what where we're at in the conversation around the science of liter science of reading right now versus where we were two years ago. You know, I mean, I hate to say this, but the reading wars are all but dead here. I mean, it, you can see which side is winning. Two years ago, it was raging. You know, it was a bonfire. You know, still. So, um, I think that. So it's it's pulling those folks and that. But other areas are um, one of the things that we do. We we call them think tanks. I mean, it's a fancy name for a panel. Um, getting folks who are not in your inner circle, um, who will answer your tough questions. Um, and in those areas, we a lot of times want to prove and disprove. And so that's the way that we look at our curiosity is we're hearing these value statements. We're hearing these things from our client or from a company. We're hearing certain things from their buyers. Well, we'll go and ask or from their customer, excuse me, we'll go and ask the panel and we'll dig deep into, you know, whether does this matter in your geographic region? Are you going to respond to the same thing that they said yes to? Um, because again, that same ideal customer profile, that's a, super in Southern Florida, you know, may not apply to that super in rural Washington state. Mm -hmm. So kind of bringing some practical applications. So if you're listening, think about how you can incorporate it in your day to day. It doesn't need to be huge. I've seen some leadership folks say, OK, I'm picking up the phone and talking to just one time a week and just picking up the phone and talking to one of my customers or potential customers and just talking to them and asking them, like, what do they do? What do they do for fun? All of these things really help when you're trying to figure out what do they care about? How can I be as relevant as possible to them? And, it, you know, I think integration into your normal day-to-day -day is really helpful. At Edutopia, I didn't know. I mean, I was the probably the closest to the audience at the time because at the time we were launching a big membership. And so people would email me. And this is kind of a little bit before social media. <laughs> if, you, if you can imagine a world without social media. And I, I had the idea to bring in an educator to our staff meetings. And it can be as simple as that, like bring in your target buyer um, or your current customer or whatever, and then just have them give you feedback. Because I can tell you it fundamentally shifted some of our priorities. We tried to, you know, not say, okay, we're just creating it for this educator, but it mm -hmm. gave us a layer or a nuance to really think with our audience in mind. And, you know, I wanted to comment on that. I, I would agree completely. Um, and, you know, that just bring in an educator. You know, it, it's not always that easy. Um, and it's maybe not always as simple as bringing that one educator. And so, you know, for those of you out there that, that can get away with the, the one educator and, and just do it regularly and frequently, but make sure that you're, you're checking some of those demographics. You know, if you're targeting English language learners, are you only talking to those that are helping primarily Spanish speaking kids where, you know, in where I'm at, you know, in Minnesota, the primary second languages are, are East African, not, not Spanish. Um, and so when I think ELL, I think Somalian, I think Ethiopian, um, not 
you know, Mexican or Central American where, you know, and if you're in Southern California, that's kind of what you you gravitate towards. Um, so it's, it's also just not, you know, it's testing those assumptions, but you can do that in simple, quick questions. Like you mentioned, you can do it in regular surveys, you know, whether to your, your customers or outside of that. But, you know, a lot of companies, um, have adopted some form of like educator or superintendent in residence, um, you know, that they've got that advisor, you know, that, that, that companion. Um, and so I think that's fantastic. It's, it's something that if you can tap that and do that, um, great, but you know, it's even sometimes as simple as adding that, that question or an optional question to the login of your platform and just ask your customers, you know, if they bought from you, um, you know, they're, they're, they're going to give you the right answers and don't, don't shove it down their throat. Don't make them do it, but you know, Hey, help us out. Can you answer two questions and make it simple for them and they'll do it. Um, you know, they're using your product, they're logging in. If they don't want to do it, then don't, then don't ask them again. Um, but that's a super easy way. Um, I have a client right now that, that did similar to that. And, it's insane. They created a resource. I won't, I won't kind of disclose who they are, but they created a resource based on what they learned that has had 100,000 unique completions, you know, student and educator in the last like three weeks. Um, it's, it's yeah. insane um, because they created something really helpful that their teachers, that their users asked for. Um, and they're giving it away. It's not something they're charging for. They're giving it away and it's primarily their users. But talk about like something simple. And I, I you know, it probably took them all of a, a half a day to create this. Um, but 100,000 people, you know, students and teachers, that's a big impact um, on such a small effort that they had to make to learn that detail. Yeah. And fundamentally, when you know your audience, you know that it may reaffirm or it may cause you to move or change or update your product to make sure that you're solving an actual relevant timely need in the classroom. The world has changed quite a bit with ed tech in the pandemic too. And the audience will help ground you to that. But fundamentally, you have to make sure you have that. We just talked to Raina and from procurement and she talked about like, if you're doing a pilot, really the number one success factor you have is making sure it actually solves a real problem. And Jacob, you were just talking about like, just because it worked in your classroom doesn't mean you're going to scale it nationally. You have to make sure and test and know all facets of, of the market itself. So beyond the audience, maybe let's get into how do you get to know the ed tech market? Maybe I am in the ed tech industry now, but I came from finance or I came from Google and I'm recruited into this firm, but this is new to me. Or maybe the the world is changing crazy. How do I start getting to know fundamentally the ed tech market? And I know that's a big question and then we can go anywhere you want with it. But we've talked a little bit about tips and tricks on the audience side, but the market is a whole nother wonderful world. <laughs> you know, um, but yes, you, so you brought up more so, you know, people from the private sector. Um, I'd also include your educator audience here because some of those folks are the ones that, um, you know, maybe thinking about trying to spread their wings and, you know, again, just cause you're an educator, you know, just like be, because I'm in education doesn't make me a teacher. You know, I can't do what they do. Bless their hearts. You know, I, I just can't do it. Um, but just because you're a teacher, you're an educator doesn't mean that you know the education market either. Um, just like, you know, how many startups have we seen come in? You know, I solved this problem for doctors and now I'm going to crush it in education. And two years later, nobody even remembers their name. Um, it, I mean, it's just if you don't, if you don't. But so there's a few different ways. I think one of them is just consuming information. Um, 
you know, I was new to this industry at one point. So were you, um, it's like the first thing people ask you when you get into a new gig or something like that, are you from the industry? And they may even ask your coworkers about that before you even come into the conversation. That's the first thing I want to know is like, are we speaking the same language or do I have to, you know, for lack of a better term, do I have to dumb it down a little bit? Cause you're not going to be able to keep up. Um, you know, and, and so, I consume a lot of information still to keep up, but it really came down to trusting associations, trusting, you know, visible people that were out there that, that talked about the issues that I cared about. You know, I, I wouldn't refer to them as influencers because I don't think, you know, the people I'm talking about right now are trying to influence anything other than, you know, this is again, prior to social media. You know, I think I just gotten a Facebook account. Um, you know, they just opened it up to like non college kids. Um, so this is prior to social media as well. Um, but so that that's a great place, but also I've found that the, the vast majority of the people I meet in this industry, they want you here. They want you to stay. You know, when someone gets a new job, the first thing I ask is, are you staying in the industry? You're leaving like, ah, oh. so in any case, trust the people around you and ask them and, and don't expect that the skills that you have from another industry or another walk of education is going to serve you the same way it does in another part of the industry. Um, so, you know, that's where I, I still do though. I still read publications. Um, you know, uh, I trust a lot of different ones to, to give good information. I, you know, follow a few pertinent folks, but you know, I think there's a lot more to learn about the education industry. That's not just being talked about in, in education media, that kind of thing. Um, and so the best thing I think, you know, for the vendors out there, for the teachers out there is again, like, how can you immerse that person um, or those people in this atmosphere, in the, in the environment, you know, uh, do you have, um, customers that are local ish that this person can go and sit in and listen in. Do you have, you know, more local conferences that they can go and experience that? Um, you know, I, I think maybe I'm talking more to companies that have larger resources, you know, for that early startup, you know, maybe traveling to a conference, that kind of thing isn't, isn't in the cards. Um, but there are a ton of virtual opportunities, uh, that you could, you know, take a look at as well. Yeah, I think I love how you were talking to the educators because that's a really big transition too. like they mm -hmm. know education, but they don't know the business side or the ed tech industry. And that's fundamentally why I started this podcast, too, is I do feel like sometimes we speak different languages and the more we can speak the same language, the more better we can be together. Mm -hmm. And that is what I think a lot of organizations aspire to do as well. Like ed, uh, South by Southwest EDU is 100 percent what their mission was, is like, let's get educators in the room let's get ed tech people in the room let's get them to talk in a way that's mutually symbiotic for both of them but it you know there's some bad turns here and there but we need to work through it to make sure that we're talking together consistently and getting the feedback so we can create awesome things and ultimately do great things for educators and students that's where we're here right yeah, exactly. You know, and I, I was talking to an old friend of mine. Um, his name's Matt Kinneman. Um, his brother used to, for a long, long time, ran district administration. And we were talking yesterday, he started a new, he referred to it as association, but he started a new organization that I think kind of embodies just what you said, but it's really for, for leadership. It's called New Era Superintendents. Um, so you can find it New Era Supes, but it's that like, you know, politics, you know, culture issues, all that kind of be damned. Like, can we unite around the fact that like, if we just focus on what will help students achieve, you know, can't we just do it? I mean, isn't that going to solve everything? Isn't that going to kind of, you know, if we just focus on student achievement and how do we help them, you know, move forward, um, it'll kind of melt the other stuff away. So 
Oh, I was going to say, just going back to the the question that you had, you know, or you mentioned educators that I do want to say, you know, to all of you educators listening, like my goal here isn't really to help facilitate your exit from the classroom. Um, I believe in you and I, my children and, and other people's children need you. And so, um, you know, I hope that you can continue to find the joy in the classroom. But if not, like, um, you know, I hope that you can find joy staying in the industry and helping in another way. Uh, so I just need to get that disclosure out, Ilana. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you did too, because it's, although we have talked in previous episodes on how you can incorporate educators into the fold of a, a, a ed tech organization, it's, it's kind of bittersweet because we know how many kids will miss them and how many lives they might not be able to affect on that depth level. Mm -hmm. um, but then we also talk on the ed tech side of like, okay, now I can affect hundreds of thousands of people. So if anyone is curious about that as an educator trying to transition, um, we have two episodes. One, we talk with Lily Jones and she is the founder of Educator Forever and she runs a community all about that. So maybe you can dip your toe into ed tech, but you, you find your joy wherever it may be. And then Serena over at Soundtrap also talks about it, how she transitioned over just recently to Soundtrap, a for-profit, um, but was an educator and what she learned and what it's really like. So a little bit of a side note, but I'm glad you brought it up. Oh, you know, it's, it's, I'm glad you expanded on that as well. I mean, it's, if you could, you'd have, you have to kind of dig, but there are former educators in significant leadership positions in many of the larger companies, you know, and, and smaller companies that, you know, in, in education here. Um, one of the ones that, you know, I've, I've gotten the pleasure to work with for a very long time is, is Todd Breckis. He's the, the chief product officer at Renaissance. He was a, a, you know, a teacher when he first started out and now he's the chief product officer of one of the largest, you know, companies in, in education. And, you know, it, it happened all because of his time in the classroom and where he started, but he realized his calling and, and the impact he could make, you know, was, was greater outside of the classroom. So, um, yeah, but I, I did want to, you know, go back to maybe the original question that started us down this road around audience and knowing them and your customer profiles and those kinds of things. And, um, you know, I wanted to point out for those that are actually watching this, you know, I'm wearing a baseball hat. I've got, you know, the top button down on my shirt. Um, I contemplated wearing like a branded sweatshirt to this. Um, I'm, I'm saying all of this stuff if you can't see me because my outlook on things has changed dramatically because of this pandemic. Um, I worry a lot less about how ready am I am from a visible perspective from, you know, how much am I caring about the people around me? Um, how much am I caring about my clients? You know, am I dedicating my time in places I can actually make a difference? And do they really care if I tied a tie or not today? Um, so, I mean, maybe that's just my example um, because I don't like wearing ties, but uh, you know, going, knowing what is going on in people's lives outside of why you can solve a problem for them. is just as critical. You know, right now we have principals driving school buses. We have, you know, um, English teachers serving as long you know, it's, it's, it's insane. Um, and so having the, the curiosity, like we talked about earlier and the, the wherewithal to, to understand that your product may be great to you or your idea may be great to you, but there is much more going on in these people's lives, work lives. And then let alone, there are People just like us, they have families and marriages and, you know, issues with health of their parents and all of that kind of stuff, too. And so it's another area where you can't, you know, know these people from a, a personal perspective, but understanding what's going on around them is, is almost just as important as understanding, you know, where and how you fit into their bigger picture, because if you're contacting that person for the right reasons at the wrong time or the wrong reasons at the right time, you know, you lose anyways. And so all of that, um, 
work goes down the drain anyway. Jacob, let's get into knowing their audience a little deeper too, because we talked about some steps and there's a lot of practical things you can do to interweave your day to day, but it has to be a focus too. Um, and it can't be just more than, you know, some beliefs on your website, right? So we talked a little bit about some strategic priorities that you need to do as an organization to shift. So you know that, you know, maybe this is risk mitigation for making sure your product is as relevant as possible. Mm -hmm. But we also talked about practical things you can do, but when you look at ed techs or you work with lots of them, what are some signs that they show if they don't know their audience? Uh, well, <laughs> I think the biggest one is, is, you know, I, I think I'm with educators. So you can spot it from a mile away. If the person that wrote copy on their website or on their emails or whatever is not from the industry, you know, they may be a great writer, but they don't use terms or words the way in the, you know, the way that they should. So, I mean, that's one big telltale sign that they have not done enough of They've done probably haven't done any homework um, or haven't done enough of it. Um, one of the things that I do, and, and maybe this is a good tool for others or not, but one of the things that I do when, when I'm talking to a potential new client and, you know, whether I think they're a good fit for us or not, I still want to make sure that they leave there saying, Hey, I got some value from that guy. And so I'll do kind of a, preliminary check um, on their website, some of the other things I can find online, their social platforms. And it's not as much like, does this website work, you know, or anything along those lines. It's more of the, can I immediately understand why I'm here? You know, if I'm a curriculum director and I need to buy this, do I immediately understand why I'm here? And can I within a, a seconds, I mean, even shorter than a second, determine where I need to go? Um, if I can't in almost every screen of that scroll of their webpage or of their newsfeed or, or wherever you're looking, if I, as their primary, as a primary buyer or primary persona, can't immediately or very easily tell what do you want me to do and where do I go? And is that appropriate for where I'm at on your website and what typically what mindset I might be in or what phase I might be in when I land there? You know, I, I know it, you got to have that schedule a demo, but in reality, the vast majority of people that land on your homepage for the first time are not looking to schedule a demo. Um, and so I'm looking at it from a standpoint of if I can't find that pathway, maybe they've done the work, but they haven't executed in every spot that, that can actually help them. Because another way to scale and learn from this is to take your buyer's buyer persona, take your buyer journey and base everything in it. I mean, build your website's map, your, 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 your wireframe of your website based on where does a curriculum, where does a buyer persona one, whoever it is, tech director, doesn't matter. But landing as a stranger on your website, on your homepage, where are you guiding them to? Where do they end so that they can end at different places so that never is an answer that they just exit. Um, and so that's a big thing for me. Um, you know, whether they're coming to us for help with some of that foundational marketing or they're coming for PR, you know, I, from a PR perspective, I still have to make sure, you know, if I'm responsible for driving traffic, I can go to a client and say, Hey, look, you're, we're going to bounce every traffic, every visit that comes to this page. Like there's nothing for him to do. Like, why are we linking here? Or do we have somewhere else to link? Or can you add a CTA or can you do something? Um, because then, you know, you see 80, 60, 70, 80, 90% bounce rates on those pages. So you know, I think, I guess I'm getting to also hear like, that's where I, I can see it publicly, but you can see it in whatever platforms you're using. Um, you know, if your bounce rates are high, you either have crappy traffic, which you're, you know, that could be the case or your website's not set up for your buyer personas, which to me then also would indicate maybe your company's not structured that way. Maybe you don't operate that way across the board that um, I can also ask questions to different in stakeholders um, and find out what they say. 
Um, if I get a different answer from sales and marketing or a different answer from a C-suite to from, you know, a sales manager or something like that, you know, we go through some of these exploratory interviews. It's insane. Sometimes the differences we hear and it's like, all right, we're going to help bring this together so that y'all are speaking, you know, the same language. And that instead of a, is this going to work? It's, you know, is you know, curriculum director, Kathy going to respond to this? Like, is she going to like this, you know, or is, you know, curriculum support, Steve going to, going to bring this to Kathy? Like, you know, I know I'm making up stupid names, but um, you know, that's, that's the idea is that you got to kind of live it. You got to breathe it. You, you can't. Um, and, and so that's part of it too, is now I also see two different types of companies. Those that are painfully aware of all of the things that I'm saying, and none of this is new. They maybe just don't know, what they're missing out on or maybe how bad it really is, or, you know, be meaning like, what is this costing them for being there? And then there, there are others that are oblivious. Um, and it is an education process and that oblivious can come from the blinders. Like we talked before, you know, the people in Silicon Valley tell me I got a good idea. Um, so I'm going to do it this way. Uh, you know, or the, I saw anyways, I, I don't need to beat a dead horse with some of the reasons, but, um, I think that's how I can look and see, um, it also is telling and, you know, you do a lot more work in social than I do. I mean, a ton more than I do, but it's pretty telling in even just what they ask for and what their cadence is on their social, um, you know, how well they know their buyer. And if it's much heavily weighted, if, if their posts are heavier weighted on, here's who we are, here's what we do, here's how we help. They probably haven't done that hard work because, you know, most of the time it's not in that moment, their product isn't going to help. Um, their product may be the ultimate solution, but yeah, so... That's, I was that's where just going to add that. If you did, I was like, I wonder if he's going to talk about that because every ed tech startup I, I work with, some, well, they come in and sometimes you, it's just because you're, you're drinking the Kool-Aid, you love your product, you know it potentially can make a big difference. But the hardest thing we reorient people to is that people don't care about your product. <laughs> you know, They don't care about you. So you have to earn trust. And the way you earn trust is listening you know, and you listen, 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 lurk, listen, support, support, support. And the way you support is provide value. And usually you're providing value outside of your product to start. You're building that trust. You're building your authority. So I'm so glad that you mentioned that because that's a big like myth I feel like they come in with. It's like, yes, our product. Let's talk more about our product. Press release. Go. <laughs> you know, and even speaking to that, that last part, um, you know, the, the market itself has changed dramatically, you know, over the last, I'd say that five-year period, maybe you, you kicked us off with here. Um, you know, what I could communicate to a client or what I could reasonably expect as far as how much will the industry care about a press release or a certain type of press release, that kind of thing. And, you know, while press releases are still a really valuable tool in, in many cases, when you use them, you know, it, it doesn't, it doesn't do the same thing. And, there are fewer people who, who even care to tell people about your new product or anything like that right now. It's, it's, you've got to earn their trust other ways for them to even, you know, kind of give to hoots about even giving that press release, any, any credence. Um, so, you know, I, I feel like going the route of our product is going to win the game for us. Um, you know, that there may be a few unicorns that we could point to that, that the product did, you know, light it up. I, you know, I, I'd say, and, and this isn't just because they're a client, but, you know, I'd say our, our kind of de facto client Nearpod was acquired by Renaissance, who's a, a client of mine. But, you know, there may be one that I can point to that, you know, kind of lit on fire through word of mouth and just true teacher dedication. I mean, you know, when I used to go to shows and see like they have a secret tent and like a line that weaves through the hall to, you know, get in there. Um, they've built like a cult following with their teachers, but 
that is not the norm. Like, I, I don't know if I'll ever see that again in my lifetime. And I, I think I still have got a decade left in this industry. And I, I just don't know if, if something like that will happen. So there isn't the case, there isn't a, a, a viral product in education. It just doesn't operate that way. Um, you know, we are an aircraft carrier. And so I think going to your point about, you know, speaking to startups, this, this can even go to more mature companies, um, depending on their leadership and their thought process that are launching a new product or something account for the runway. You know, anything new in education, you can probably bank on minimum two, maybe three and up to five or six years before you're recording a profit. Um, if you beat that, awesome, you know, more power to you. But if you operate under that, that's that's really what you see. I mean, you've got to grind um, and you have to do the hard work. Yeah. And as you were talking, I'm like, gosh, I wonder what the other signs are. And what I've seen, too, is that ed tech startups that don't prioritize social media or any type of communication to connect regularly with their audiences don't fundamentally know their audience. And that includes when you talked about Nearpod, they're known for their community that they've created. So they mm -hmm. invested in community, not in the beginning, but they said, okay, we do want a community of advocates. And so they have the near pioneers or their, their ambassador program, mm -hmm. and they do a lot more in the community space. And they're actually regarded as probably the top, one of the top 10 brands in ed tech communities, I would say that do it right. So if you're not investing in your audience, you're not going to know your audience, right? Well, so, and I'm glad that you expanded on that because I a hundred percent agree. But one other thing that I, I would say is probably not unique to Nearpod, but those that like get this right is it's not just an external thing. Like what they're doing in that community, what, you know, others that are getting it right. It's not, that's not what's it, you know, what's happening behind the scenes should reflect what's happening out there. Um, and, and, you know, I, again, there, yeah, I don't work directly with Nearpod, but my experience with them has been, you know, each individual at that company and as a whole, they embody what you're seeing, you know, coming out publicly. And so it's, it's not for show. Um, and it is a long game. Um, but that's where your longevity is. It is in, you know, they, they don't know the name of every person in that community and they don't know every one of their faces. Um, but they created this because they knew that they needed it and they knew who they were. They, they were I'm doing air quotes for those not listening. Um, and they listened and they evolved and they continue to serve. Um, so, you know, Nearpod, I think is an extreme example of, of extreme success that you can have, I, you know, and even though they did it over a number of years, I think it was still a, a short time frame. That, that I'd say Edutopia, you know, where you started too, Alana, that's another exemplar. Um, but I also think that, you know, even prior to thinking about community on such a grand scale, you have to think about it on a smaller scale. You know, you talked about a pilot. Do we actually solve a need? Find out from them, build that community in that pilot and just have that community be there. Um, but find out there. And then, you know, to your point, do invest in social. And I'd say that's probably one of the primary things that we recommend. Um, even if we're saying don't, we, you're not ready for PR because you're better off spending whatever budget you have with me on hiring someone that knows what the heck they're doing in social. Cause you're going to get a better rate of return, at least earlier on, you know, there's, there's reasons with the life stage cycle of startups, that kind of thing, you know, PR that isn't always about generate, you know, generating awareness with their users. You know, we do get companies, you know, big and small that come to us for very specific reasons. Um, that isn't always of getting in front of customers, you know, uh, but, uh, in any case, um, I think that that's, it's just important not to lose sight of that. Yeah. And super loaded question. I kind of just dropped a bomb of like, what are the signs? And we could talk about this forever, but I, I really think the themes were is 
it's your outward communication. You talked about your website, your conversion rate optimization, really thinking with audience personas in mind. It's your internal culture. We talked about community investing in social. We talked about website copy, all these things. So if you are thinking about this, you do a quick gut check. Like, does your copy really speak to the audiences, maybe bring in some stakeholders, have them think about like, hey, should you use that keyword? Should you not? What is your bounce rate that Jacob was talking about too? So all of these things, I know they are nebulous, but just start start one at a time, start one mm -hmm. thing at a time, and it all will catch fire and you'll start to create a culture around being audience obsessed. And that's <laughs> What I like is like we talk at LCG about being community obsessed, right? Really building a sense of community. And it's very different than audience. So right now we're kind of surface level audience and whatnot, but really creating a sense of belonging with your users or target users is where we take that evolution into community. But I, we've been talking a ton to ed tech folk. Um, educators, thank you for sticking around. I hope you find this really interesting because every single ed tech organization we both work with has this goal to truly serve your needs. Just sometimes we, you know, they get lost along the way at times, which makes sense, right? But from the educator perspective, Jacob, like how would you recommend they tell ed techs what they really need support on. Like I, there isn't a, a doubt in my mind that ed tech organizations want to support educators. I think sometimes that lack of common dialogue stops them or they just don't know, or, you know, maybe, you know, the pandemic, there's no room for anything. There's no time, but how do we create a dialogue that ed techs know they're truly supporting what educators really need? <sighs> You've asked me some tough ones, but like <laughs> this one, you know, I got to, I got to stay Switzerland here. I got to figure out how to answer this. Um, so, you know, one, one thing I would say, you know, you, you mentioned time and, and that kind of thing. Like, you know, for those of you that are still in the classroom that are, you know, in administration, whatever level that might be, um, you know, I, I think you've got to make a decision on which, which companies are worth it. Um, you know, if it's a, a, you know, a solution that your district is invested in that your guys are stuck with you for good or bad for the next three years, you, it's hard for me to say this, but you may want to think about like, no matter how much it sucks, invest in that relationship and see what you can do. Um, because I, I do believe, you know, that, that for the most part, companies are out there trying to do good. Um, there are some that do that much better than others, of course. And I do want to acknowledge educators that I know there are companies that do this extremely poorly. Um, and so, you know, I, I, and I also say to education providers, make this easy for educators, ask for their feedback all the time and don't be afraid of what they have to say. Um, it's all just data. It's all just information, um, that it, good or bad, you know, use it, um, whether it's to validate or whatever, but make it easy for them to, to, to provide feedback. Um, but you know, educators, I, I would say that the first thing is to, to, you know, learn the channels that you can advocate on. Um, you know, I don't know how everything works in each one of your schools or how you adopted a solution or how you interact with, with a company, but figure out those communication channels um, so that you can communicate the best possible way. You know, oftentimes a help ticket will get you your password or get you logged in, but it won't get you that long-term like, hey, could you do this? Or sure would be cool if these kids looked a little bit more like the kids in my classroom. Um, that's not always going to get uh, you know, seen or maybe dealt with in the same way. If you just go through the regular customer service channels. Um, and so I, I'd also encourage you to 
avoid the shock and awe approach and immediately taking it public. Um, I'm not saying to hide things. I'm not saying anything like that, but I'm saying, you know, if you notice an issue or something that is missing, go to that company and give them the benefit of the doubt and see if they'll do it. And, you know, that just may earn you a seat at the table or at least change the product for the better. Um, but if you're one identifying something that's worth it to figuring out the best way for you to reach them, and you truly believe this is going to move the needles for your teacher, your students, whoever you're serving in your building or your district, be relentless. Don't stop. Um, make sure that they hear you. And if they don't hear you privately, that's when you do pull the Twitter, you know, hey, contacted you five times. Can you give me a buzz? Um, don't be afraid to do that either. Uh, you know, it, it takes a company that is, I don't even know, I don't want to go there, but like for them to not treat you with respect knowing you're a user in a public setting. Um, you know, I don't think that's going to happen. So I wouldn't have fear for bringing this up, um, but you don't need to do it in an inflammatory way. You can still do it in a productive way. Um, so I don't know, maybe I'm going to two different paths here, Ilana. You know, I, I hit on some equity and, and some, you know, representation issues, which I think are very different than the functionality of a product. Yeah, no, but I love that you talked about how they can advocate for themselves in those various ways that they can do it. And it'll vary by ed tech organization to ed tech organization. But sometimes I look at organizations and I say, gosh, they're really active on Twitter. Maybe I should tweet them or DM them first. Or, But I can tell you from somebody who runs social for lots of ed tech brands, we take product feedback really seriously. Mm -hmm. We send it, we tag it, we do reports and trend analysis on it. We get their entire product teams involved too. So please don't think that people don't listen. Um, there might be some brands not active on social that if you do tweet them, they might not see it, but just look and see how active they are. Um, but I want you to know that, you know, if, if they are active on social, they do take it seriously. And to take advantage of that is really cool. And the last thing I would say is that Sometimes when you ask educators, and this is for both of you, educators and ed tech, if you ask the educators some feedback, educators inherently will be nice because it's better than what they had and what they had might have been broken. And, oh, that's really nice that they're, you know, stop, just, just give them real feedback and say, here's exactly how it would fit my need. Because if they don't hear that, they're going to create something with this affirmation from you that it works and it didn't quite work, but you just didn't know, maybe you were used to it not working. So it was better than, you know, good enough, or you're just too nice. So please open dialogue, honesty. Do you see that too, Jacob? Yeah. Yeah. You know, a hundred percent, um, you know, oftentimes, you know, it's, it's, you know, I, I don't think people understand just how serious it is. You know, I, I'm not as involved behind the scenes. Like I don't see DMS on my client's social, you know, that kind of stuff. So I, but I hear about it. Um, you know, the role that I'm in is in case, you know, something is inflammatory in public that I help make sure that my client, number one, does the right thing. And number two, you know, that, that we can, you know, share what we're doing to correct it. But, um, no, I, I agree with you completely. And, you know, I think that's what I was going for earlier is just this, this can and should be a meaningful dialogue. Um, so I'd also, you know, educators assume that they want to help. Um, and also, you know, assume that if you don't ask for it, they're not going to do it. Uh, and so you may be surprised by just how much they will do for you if you ask, um, or what they'll do for you if you ask. Uh, so, you know, that, and then one more thing for companies out there that you may do all of this really well and solicit feedback, but if you don't go back and confirm with people that you've heard them, that you've done something, maybe they don't always see it, but you've got to communicate that we heard you and we did this because we heard you. 
Um, you don't do this to pound your chest. You do this to validate the people that are giving you that feedback. So they'll do it again so that they actually know that they were listened to and that they were heard. I think closing that loop is, is monumental to keeping the people who are giving you that feedback um, coming back to the well. Yeah, that is so important. And for those of you just getting into the industry of ed tech, you might have known this, but it surprised me when I first got into it is how little educators are seen or heard or their opinions validated or affirmed. And what Jacob's talking about is, yes, we want to be a brand that's responsive and listen to you and we see you and we appreciate mm -hmm. you. That's mm -hmm. so important. So thank you for bringing that up. Absolutely. Um, I know that we could talk about this for, for days and days and days, but I hope all of you that have been talking to us and listening to us about audience and making that the foundation of everything have walked away with a couple of tips. Whether you're in ed tech and it feels a little bit daunting about how to really shift your focus in a way that can be somewhat reactive, but also puts you in the driver's seat to be proactive, to really understand your audience needs. But also on the educator side, too, how can I work with ed tech organizations to help them along the way to meet my needs, too? Right. That's that double edged, mm -hmm. not sword because it's, that's a bad, violent thing. But double edged something. <laughs> right. <Lightsaber>. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, Jacob, thank you so much for your time. I think the one thing we always ask everybody at the end of the show is in this world of isolation exhaustion, blurring work-life balance. You also are in education and feel the compassion of educators. Like it brings me down when I think about what educators are going through every day. How do you personally like refuel, regenerate? What inspires you in those days where you're like, oh gosh, I'm running this agency ship. I am dying. This is hard. <laughs> how, how, how do you regenerate and refuel? There's... <sighs> You've been really good with some tough questions because this one, you know, I don't think is as simple to answer maybe as, as it is for me, at least for, for others. And so I think, you know, one of my answers as, as cliche as it is, is it's, it's my kids. Um, you know, I, I'm a single dad. Um, I have my kids hundred percent of the time. Um, one of them, you know, he was mid, my oldest was midway through his last year of preschool when the pandemic hit and, you know, my daughter missed out on preschool. And so, you know, while I don't directly sell anything to schools, I don't usually do anything directly with educators that, that, you know, truly has an impact in the classroom directly. Um, but any article I pursue for a client, any advice that I'm giving, you know, any of those tough days, I'd like to think that, you know, maybe that day I'm making a difference for somebody else's kids. Um, you know, and that other kid could be a grown up. you know, that could be a teacher in the classroom. Um, but you know, I want the best for my kids just like everybody else does. And they're just starting this journey. So if I'm not doing what I need to do and if, if educators aren't, you know, and that kind of thing, like my kids aren't going to get the same opportunities that other kids did. So that's one thing, but just being able to see there, I mean, it's insane how positive they always are. And, and, you know, the sense of wonderment that they have, you know, even though the world has gotten has, has so small for them for these last few years. Um, and so they're a constant source of positive energy and, you know, influence and inspiration for me. Um, uh, you know, and, and so I, I think that that that's part of it. They're, they're my North star I'd say too, but you know, through the last, through oh, the whole pandemic, my father's been very sick. Um, and he was diagnosed with small cell lung cancer, um, and emphysema in December. And I watched this man, you know, who I've viewed as my, my hero, my whole life. I still kind of do, um, 
battle through this. And I never talked to him once without a smile on his face. You know, all he asked was to see my kids. Uh, and so, you know, you know, every day, so we do a zoom or a meet or whatever. And so I, I look at it too. Like if my dad can do this and, and like he can put on a happy face when he's probably going through some really crappy stuff, I can do the same thing. But you know, just like he has me and my kids and my family, I go to work every day and I have wonderful people around me. I'm having a crappy day. Um, and I don't, you know, today is not going to feel good. I can tell my team member that and just say, look, like I got the Mondays on a Thursday. Can you help me? Um, I'm just not into this. And you know, maybe that day isn't as fun, but they're going to help try to lift me up. So I'd say it's those three, my kids, my dad, and, and my team. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. It's, when people have this optimistic outlook like your dad, it's it's hard to ignore. And also other things become other things you think are big become small suddenly. Mm -hmm. Right. Absolutely. Oh, okay. Well, thank you so much, Jacob. Um, why don't you tell the audience how they can get a hold of you and your team? I mean, you can find me on LinkedIn, Jacob Hansen, just type me in there and you'll find me. Um, but otherwise my website is prp.group, um, not prpgroup.com, prp.group. Uh, you know, otherwise I am going to keep my old school handle. You can find me on Twitter at PR Panache Jacob. Um, but you know, in any case, however you want to find me, um, you know, just reach out, uh, if there's anything I can do to help, or if you have questions on anything we shared, you know, one of the best ways for me to stay current aside from what I've shared is to talk to people like you. Great. And any resources we mentioned, we will be sharing in the show notes as well. So our show notes will be at leoneconsultinggroup.com. So that's consulting group with two G's. I found this on the web. <laughs> Backslash 17 for detailed notes on everything we talked about. And thank you again, Jacob. I thank you all for taking time out of your busy day to think about how we can all work together to improve education for, for everybody. We talked about equity a little bit here, but that's truly why we're all here is equal access and opportunity for a quality education. So thank you all for listening. We will see you all on the next episode of All Things Marketing and Education. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode. If you liked what you heard and want to dive deeper, you can visit leoneconsultinggroup.com backslash podcasts for all show notes, links, and freebies mentioned in each episode. And we always love friends, so please connect with us on Twitter at Leone Group. If you enjoyed today's show, go ahead and click the subscribe button to be the first one notified when our next episode is released. We'll see you next week on all things marketing and education.